The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And today I'm honored to welcome my guest, Mr. Ken Roseborough. He is the editor and publisher of a fabulous publication called The Organic and Non-GMO Report. It is information to ensure a safe, healthy, and sustainable food supply. And every month I receive a copy that shares topics such as GMO food labeling, increasing organic acreage, organic news, organic profiles, GMO contamination, and so on. And so, Ken, welcome. It's a delight to have you here today. Oh, it's great to be on the show again, Melinda. Well, you know, I saw you speak at the Baker Creek Heritage Seed Festival in southern Missouri, and you gave a great talk about GMO food labeling and some of the issues that we face in the U.S. versus the EU. And what I sensed, and I think probably you did too, was that there were a lot of questions and uncertainty in the audience. And I thought, why don't we just talk about that a little bit? Yeah, that sounds great. There is a lot of confusion and uncertainty about that whole issue. I know. Well, in this last issue of the Organic and Non-GMO Report, you, in your editor's note, you describe going into a store in Iowa. You are based in Fairfield, Iowa, I should add. You go into a store in Iowa, you look at a package of M&Ms, and you're curious because you know that Mars Incorporated has just decided that they are going to start labeling products that contain GMO ingredients. And sure enough, you find on the back of the package it said, partially produced with genetic engineering in tiny letters. So that's what our labels are going to look like here in the U.S.? That's the language these big food companies are using. I think they're using that language. It's either partially produced with genetic engineering or maybe partially produced with genetic engineering. That's the language that's required by Vermont's mandatory GMO labeling law that takes effect July 1st. So these companies are already starting to comply with Vermont's law. Mm -hmm. And I think what's been so interesting from a consumer education perspective is that consumers have been clamoring for GMO labeling for years. And we look at the long list of countries like Korea and Russia and places where you'd think, wait a second, we've got freedom to know and America's freedom to know what we're eating, and yet we don't have the right to know whether or not our food contains genetically engineered ingredients yet. Right. Yeah, we don't. There are 64 other countries around the world that have mandatory labeling laws. You mentioned a few of them, and it includes all the European Union nations, and even Russia, China, India. So groups in the U.S. have been fighting for, for GMO labeling for ever since GMOs were introduced. And now it seems like we're close, that's close to happening although there could be some action in the Senate in the, in the coming weeks on GMO labeling, and we're not sure exactly what's going to happen with that. What do consumers need to do right now? I would recommend that they contact their senators 
and tell them that they want mandatory on-package labeling. There have been some initiatives, some lawmakers are proposing an idea where food companies would put these QR codes, these funny little squares with the funny symbols on them on their food packaging that would be read by a, a smartphone. So a consumer would be in a supermarket, they'd pick up a package, take out their smartphone and read this QR code to see if, if the product has GMO ingredients. That's a time-consuming process. It's also really unrealistic because there's a huge percentage of the population that doesn't own smartphones. Exactly. So people want on-package labeling. That's what we are demanding. That's what labeling supporters want. Right. Exactly the type of language that Mars and several other food companies are putting on their products. Exactly. So those companies as they stand are Campbell's Soup, General Mills, Mars, Kellogg, and ConAgra. And they say they are going to comply with Vermont's law and give the consumers this information. Now, I'll tell you something from a, a consumer education perspective and also from a position of a, of a busy working mom who's trying to put food on the table. Maybe you've got a couple of kids with you in the grocery store. Reading one of those codes with a cell phone is totally unreasonable. I want language, but I want Really, I want even better language than this. I'm happy to have something, but I think it could be better. Yeah, I agree. In Europe, they specify which ingredients in a product are genetically engineered, whereas the Vermont law, which could become the de facto national law, just says generally partially produced or maybe produced with genetic engineering. Right. It's better than nothing, but it really doesn't give the consumer the information that they need to know about which specific ingredients are genetically engineered. Believe it or not, I had been in Cuba, and I picked up a jar of mayonnaise that must have been imported, and each ingredient had an asterisk next to it if it was genetically engineered. So the ingredient had an asterisk, and then underneath the ingredient list, that asterisk explained genetically engineered ingredient. So to me, that's a better consumer education tool than having just this blanket statement that, yes, it's produced with genetic engineering, but we don't know which ingredients are involved. Yeah, I totally agree that knowing which ingredients are genetically engineered is much better because it aids in the consumer. Consumer becomes better informed. They'll see a cornstarch and they'll think, oh, yeah, that's genetically engineered or whatever it is. And a lot of these products have many ingredients. So knowing which ones are genetically engineered would help to inform and better educate consumers. Yeah. You've been producing this publication for 15 years. I want to know some of the reasons why the big food producers have been so reluctant to label their food in this country, and yet They've done it willingly in the EU. Right. Well, they're doing it in the EU because they're required by law to do it over there to reveal which GMO ingredients are in their products. I think a part of it is fear of the consumers. It will scare off consumers, and it will act as a skull and crossbones on their products. I think that's a big part of it, although there was a study done at the University of Vermont 
it totally debunks that claim. It basically says that it won't scare off consumers, that a lot of consumers it won't make much difference to. And that's, I think that's the case too with, <laughs> with packages of M&Ms that have partially produced with genetic engineering on them. I, I doubt whether that will scare off consumers. Right. I think that's part of it. And also they just don't want to change their supply chains to non-GMO ingredients. Mm-hmm. Right now they're buying lots of ingredients and GMO corn and soybeans, and to go non-GMO would be a big change to their supply chains, although some big companies are starting to do that. So that's another big change we're seeing uh, that's happening in the food industry also. Mm-hmm. And, you know, personally, from a public health perspective, because so many herbicides are used in combination with those genetically engineered crops, I see this as a positive if we can start shifting the way in which we produce our food to be raised without these additional chemicals. That would be better. Yeah, exactly. I mean, ultimately, organic would be the best. But, you know, moving in that direction, I think, is definitely a positive step. It may take a few steps to do that. I'm thinking of Dannon, the yogurt company, recently announced they were going to be switching to non-GMO ingredients in all their products. They were also going to label any of their products that have GMOs in them, like Campbell's has volunteered to do. And they're also going to source feed for the dairy cows, source non-GMO feed, as well as encourage their farmers to adopt more sustainable agricultural practices using fewer chemicals, fewer pesticides. So that's a good example of a company that's moving in the right direction, away from GMOs and the pesticide treadmill that a lot of farmers are on. So would you say that it was largely because of the consumer push or consumer demand that Dannon made that switch? Yes, definitely. Over the past couple of years, probably since 2012, since California had their GMO labeling initiative, I've just seen a huge grassroots movement emerge around this issue. People demanding labeling, lobbying their state legislatures to get labeling bills passed, demanding non-GMO foods, organic foods. And so the big companies are responding to this consumer awakening, you could Mm -hmm. say. Yeah. Growing consumer awareness. So Dannon is responding. Hershey's is responding. Hellman's is responding with non-GMO and organic mayonnaise options. So the big food companies, like somebody told me, they're they're smart and they'll adapt to what consumers want, and that's what they're doing. Yeah, this is really good news in that it shows that a grassroots effort and consumer demand, and I think social media has made it all the more possible for consumers to have this level of that push that maybe we wouldn't have had if we didn't have this broader social network and community to really raise awareness. Yeah, exactly. Social media has, is a tremendous tool. I see it on our Facebook page. We're at about 900,000 likes on our Facebook page. And to me, it's amazing to me. And, and it just it's just an indication of people becoming more aware of food and, and wanting good foods and wanting to know where their foods come from and wanting simpler 
ingredients, natural, organic, non-GMO ingredients. So that's a huge trend right now, and the big food companies are adjusting to it. I'm glad you. It is great, and I'm really glad you brought up the natural label. I know FDA is looking at that right now. The comment period is closed, but there's a discrepancy in that some of the food industry partners they want to be able to have genetically engineered ingredients in a product that's labeled natural. It seems to me that there's more of a consumer sentiment that says, no, genetically engineered food isn't natural. That shouldn't be included. So it'll be really interesting to see how that all shakes out. Do you have a gut feeling? I don't. It's hard to say what what the FDA is going to do. They've received thousands of comments. And some organizations, I was surprised, the Natural Products Association has submitted comments to the FDA saying that they support products that are that contain GMOs uh, with natural labels. They support having natural labels on products containing GMOs, hmm. which was really surprising to me. Me too. Uh, that they would they would take a stand like that. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I mean, the natural label, as you know, organic is probably the most regulated term in the food industry. Right. Natural is not. Anybody can make a natural claim, and it means absolutely nothing. And consumers are being misled. I just saw a survey that was done by Consumer Reports, which found that 73% of consumers are looking for a natural label. They they prefer seeing a natural label, even more so than organic, which um, is very misleading. No, it is. It's really unfortunate. There's a huge level of confusion there. Let me take one moment and remind our listeners that if you're just joining us, you are tuned into Food Sleuth Radio. We are speaking with Ken Roseborough. He is the editor and publisher of the Organic and Non-GMO Report, and we are specifically targeting our conversation on GMO labeling. I've got to ask you, Ken, um, well, we're going to talk about the non-GMO project label here in a moment, but one of the things that I want to try to explain to our listeners has to do with this idea that, oh, we can't label foods with GMO ingredients. It's going to raise the cost of food. That was consistently one of the messages that the food industry used to defeat labeling in different states, so Connecticut, Maine, California, Washington, Oregon, Vermont, in every single one of those states where there was an effort from the grassroots to label GMOs, the food industry moved in with millions of dollars saying we can't label, it's going to cost more. True or false? It's false, basically. I mean, even a representative from the Campbell Soup Company even said that, that they change labels all the time. And to just put a, a GMO label, produced with genetic engineering label on the products, is not going to cost a lot of money. If there's any increased cost, it would be if they switched to non-GMO ingredients. That would increase their cost, which eventually would go down as more non-GMO ingredients come down. But there have been studies done that have shown this. In Europe, which has a long experience with GMO labeling for nearly 20 years, they found that there were virtually no increases of food costs to consumers because companies had to label their products with GMOs. So I think that's that's an, an, a myth that has been promoted by the food and biotech industry to mislead and to scare consumers, basically, to, to scare consumers against 
uh, demanding the right to know what's in their foods. Exactly. Well, another thing I wanted to bring up about, uh, maybe you understand the European labels with regard to this, but if an animal has been fed GMO grain, so the dairy cow that's been fed GMO grain, the milk that is produced from that cow, according to this law that is going to be hopefully enacted here in the U.S., that will not have to be labeled as containing or produced with genetic engineering. Is that correct? Yes, it is. In Vermont, <laughs> Vermont is, uh, is a dairy state, and uh, I don't think they would have gotten a GMO labeling law passed in Vermont if they had to extend labeling to milk and meat and egg products. Uh-huh. So... It's the same, and in, in Europe, Europe has, this, has the same... There's this loophole in Europe's law also. Oh, really? require labeling of, yeah, of meat, dairy, and egg products produced from animals that have been fed GMO feed. Okay. That's important for consumers to know. The other thing that consumers should know is if they are looking for milk and meat that comes from animals that have not been fed GMO grain, the only label that gives them that guarantee is the organic label. Is that correct? Well, the non-GMO project also requires that animals, if they're going to verify any meat, dairy, or egg products, the animals that were used to make those products have to have been fed non-GMO feed. So okay. That's a requirement. Okay. Uh, with organic, yes, of course. Okay. Here's where it gets tricky, though. And, I, and we saw this at the Baker Creek Seed Festival. There was a woman in the audience, and you'll probably remember this. She was very surprised to learn that a loaf of bread that had the non-GMO project seal on it could have been sprayed, the wheat could have been sprayed with glyphosate. It's used as a desiccant, it's used as a drying pre-harvest tool that farmers use, and there is residue on wheat with glyphosate. That practice would not be allowed in an organic system, but with the non-GMO project verified label, that does not have anything to do with the pesticides or herbicides that are used in that product. Right. Yeah, the non-GMO project label just focuses on the GMO issue. It doesn't focus on pesticides that are used with crops, including non-GMO crops. Right. Nor would it apply to antibiotics or hormones that are also disallowed with the organic system, but as we were talking about, you could have, say, a dairy product that said non-GMO verified. Okay, that tells me that the animal has not consumed GMO grain, but that grain could have been sprayed with an herbicide, and the animal could have been given antibiotics or hormone implants. Is that correct? I'm not totally sure about the hormones. They couldn't have been treated with the, with the RBGH, I know. Because that's genetically engineered. Yeah, that's prohibited by the, the non-GMO project. Okay. Yeah. But antibiotics, that's not part of the equation. I don't think so, no, no. 
Now, the non-GMO project, like I said, it just focuses on the, the GMO issue. It was started by some leaders in in the organic food industry who felt that the, the National Organic Program rules were not addressing the GMO issue to their satisfaction, that they thought there would be a lot of GMO contamination, so they created this non-GMO project as a GMO avoidance program that a lot of organic companies have adopted mm-hmm. as well. So you see a lot of organic foods that have both labels, the organic seal and the non-GMO project label. Do you know what the limits are, Ken, on contamination? You know, it's my understanding that gosh, there's probably not much that isn't contaminated these days. It's just the way the wind blows and pollen moves. But are you aware of the rules around what can still be considered acceptable for the non-GMO project as well as acceptable for the organic label? Are they the same levels of contamination? Well, they're different. The non-GMO project has a a threshold or GMO threshold of 0.9, so there can't be more than 0.9% GMO material in a non-GMO project verified product. With organic, there are no GMO thresholds, and there's been debate about this in the organic industry. As long as a farmer doesn't use GMO seed, then his crop can be certified organic. The problem is that there can be cross-pollination in the field and his product could be tested by a buyer. This is where there can be a rejection of organic products. If the farmer tries to sell his grain to a buyer and the buyer tests it and finds GMO levels higher than what he was wants to see, then his grain would be rejected. Mm-hmm. So there aren't any GMO thresholds in organic. Okay, I was confused about that. Because I actually have a friend who was growing corn in Illinois, organic corn, used organic seed. His crop had been contaminated with GMO pollen. He brought it to the grain elevator, and his crop was rejected. So even though, so his crop was contaminated, but it was not allowed into the organic system. Yeah. The um, the grain elevator, the grain buyer, I assume they tested the crop. Yes. And it tested higher than what the buyer was willing to accept. And, yeah, the buyers can have their own thresholds for GMO contamination that they'll specify. Some may say 0.9%, others. I know Clarkson Green in Illinois, that's the threshold they work, work with. Others may have a higher threshold, others may be lower, which is, I think is a problem. I think there really needs to be a harmonization of those thresholds so that they're consistent, so people know what they have to do right. to, to meet them. Mm-hmm. But right now, there is no harmonization of, like that, of GMO thresholds. I see. Is there a threshold in Europe? Uh, yeah, it's 0.9%. Okay. And that's why the non-GMO project has adopted the 0.9% because it's become almost an industry standard. Right. And that's why companies like Clarkson Grain has also adopted the 0.9% threshold. Okay, that's good to know. 
So just in talking about these specific labels, it really is confusing for the consumer out there, isn't it? Yeah, it can be. I mean, there's been debate among people in the organic industry who are concerned that consumers will see a product, one product with a non-GMO project label on it and one with the organic label, and they'll they'll choose the non-GMO project labeled product because they think, oh, this one doesn't have GMOs in it. Right. When they, they may not realize that organic prohibits the use of GMOs. Right. So there are concerns in the organic industry that that, that could happen. Although I've spoken with a grocery buyer at Whole Foods and he doesn't see that happening. He says that sales of both organic and non-GMO project verified products are both strong, but there are concerns about that there could be some consumer confusion about that. Mm-hmm. So consumer education about this whole issue is really key. And I think a lot of natural food retailers are stepping up to to do that kind of education. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it's important for consumers to know which certification levels or labels they can trust and what each of them means. And that's a job in itself, to look at each one of those labels and have a a score sheet to say, okay, what exactly am I looking for? But you mentioned during your talk in Missouri that the non-GMO label, is that the fastest growing label or is it the organic label? I think right now, according to research I've seen, the non-GMO label is growing faster than organic. But it's new. It's fairly new on the scene. The organic label has been around for how many years? I mean, the USDA organic has been around since 2002, but other organic labels have been around for much longer than that. Whereas the non-GMO label is is fairly new, just since 2009, I believe. Products with the non-GMO project verified label have been appearing in stores. So I think that newness, that novelty, is maybe one reason why it's growing so fast and the growing awareness around GMOs. But the organic label has just been growing strong for many, many years. And non-GMO, although it's growing faster than organic, it's not that much faster. So the long-term trend is organic and the long-term growth is organic. Mm -hmm. And I mean, some companies, that's why some, as I mentioned, some organic food companies are, are putting both labels on their products to give their customers that double assurance of being organic and avoiding GMOs. Right. Well, Ken, is there anything that you want to leave our listeners with? Yeah, I would just encourage everybody to keep an eye on what's happening in the Senate around this DARK Act, (laughs) this Deny Americans the Right to Know Act, and tell your senators that you want mandatory on-package labeling. Having people let the senators know this really makes a big difference in getting them to vote in favor of consumer right to know around this issue. So I think that's the main message I would communicate right now. Well, that sounds great. And we'll direct our listeners to your website, which is www.non-gmoreport.com. 
You also have a Facebook page and a Twitter account so people can keep up with all of the new developments in this field. I want to recommend your publication again, the Organic and Non-GMO Report, because your interviews are always enlightening and you have a great way for us to all stay updated with what's going on with the industry and policy level. So thank you, Ken, so much for being my guest. In closing, I want to thank our listeners for joining us. I want to thank my guest, Mr. Ken Roseborough, and remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemmelgarn at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. Thank you again, Ken. Thank you. Thank you.